0: whenever you learn from and talk with people who have entirely different viewpoints, it can inform your own in really, really cool ways.
1: Welcome to Solar Spotlight, conversations on learning analytics. This podcast series is produced by Solar, the Society for Learning Analytics Research, to engage the wider community with leading research, practice, and key issues in learning analytics. My name is Maren Scheffel, and I'm your host for this episode. In today's episode, we will take a closer look at the topic of diversity. I'm very happy to welcome Angela Stewart from the University of Colorado Boulder as our guest today. And uh, I will let her introduce herself.
0: Uh, Hi, I'm Angela. Uh, I am a PhD candidate uh, at the University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, Hopefully by the time this uh, episode comes out, we'll be a PhD uh, as I'll be defending next week Um, But yeah, uh, so I do a little bit of research in uh, modeling of collaborative problem solving and feedback systems that help people collaborate better and more effectively. Um, uh, So yeah. Thank you. And uh, I'm keeping my fingers
1: crossed for next week. And uh, I'm sure everything will go well.
0: Yeah, Um, I think it'll be
1: fine. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, So... You are a computer scientist and um, work at the computer science department at your university. The specific research area you chose to focus on is education.
0: What made you go into that direction? One, I think that um, fundamentally access to education is and should be a uh, basic human right and that everyone should be able to engage in whatever level of education that they choose to. So I am like fundamentally passionate on that level. Um, But especially in the US, there's larger societal inequities in education that I experienced in my own, uh, in my own background. Um, as well as I I see outside of that that I would like to help out with. And I would like to dedicate my efforts towards that, especially with my computer science background. I think that there is a lot of potential to be able to make education scalable with technology in a way that one-on-one teaching can often not be, or like teacher classroom, and that sort of thing. I think that technology can be a really great way to even the playing field, and so I want to be a part of that movement. This
1: is great, and yes, I I absolutely uh, agree with you there. Using technology can help make education scalable, and um, the, the interdisciplinarity, the collaboration of different research areas is so important. Within that field of education or data science in in education, um, you said you focus on the one hand on collaboration or collaborative learning, um, but one of your focuses is also uh, diversity and inclusion in education. So what made you
0: go specifically into that area? I think largely because of some of the reasons that I've already talked about with seeing larger social, inequ- social inequities um, as it pertains to both race and gender. I think that a lot of times we might say that we care about diversity and inclusion, but actually being able to work on it from a research perspective really helps to further it and i think that we're at a really unique time in our in our society to where people are really transitioning towards deeper thinking of what does diversity and inclusion mean what does it look like how do we how do we support underrepresented minorities and people with disabilities in a way that makes them feel not only that they have a seat at the table, but also that their voice is valued and that their voice is an equal say in the world that we live in, in a way that hasn't been the case up until Mm -hmm. this point. Do you already
1: have any specific research results you could share with us? That anything maybe like some last experiments you've been working on um, about diversity and inclusion or anything you, you can share with us already?
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of uh, my most recent work that I worked on with my faculty advisor, Sydney DeMello, uh, and others on the project, is looking at diversity in teams of three students working on a collaborative problem-solving task. Um, they were playing a physics game. And so what we were looking at was how can we quantify diversity of teams in multiple ways. So traditionally diversity is quantified by demographics, so race, gender, and in no way do I want to downplay that at all because both race and gender uh, have very, very big influences on how a person views the world and then also how the world views that person. Um, But we wanted to look at more than just that, so we looked at diversity of personality, diversity of prior experience, diversity of attitudes, and how did that influence outcomes in a collaborative problem-solving task. That is a very interesting approach, so what
1: did, what did you take into account apart from those aspects in your study?
0: So every person in a team was quantified using a vector. So let's say we had a vector of demographics that looked at their race, their age, their first language, or let's say, as well as their gender, um, uh, or let's say we had a vector that looked at their attitudes towards teamwork, since we're looking at a collaborative Mm -hmm. problem solving task. So we had a vector that looks at, you know, um, how do they feel about their leadership potential? Or how do they feel about? working on teams. Do they like doing that? Uh, How do they feel if they're good at working on teams? Mm -hmm. And and then? And so we looked at the distance amongst students on the teams between those different vectors. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have a team of three students, A, B, and C. We looked at the distance between A and B of their demographic vector, B and C in their demographic vector, A and C in their demographic vector. Uh, we just quantified that overall by looking at the average of those distances. Higher values in this case means that teams are more diverse. So we looked at how does that predict outcomes such as their task performance, or their score on a post-test, which is their learning in this case, um, on the physics task that they were doing, as well as their subjective perceptions of the task, um, their valence, their arousal, and how high of quality they thought the collaboration itself was. Uh, And what we found was that diversity in a couple of dimensions was predictive of these outcomes, but importantly, they were predictive of the outcomes above and beyond the base makeup of the team. So when I say base makeup of the team, I mean um, the overall level of the team in a particular dimension. So going back to that attitudes towards teamwork example, uh, we quantified the distance between A and B, A and C, and B and C on their attitudes towards teamwork. Mm -hmm. But we also looked at their overall level, the mean Um, Of each of the individual metrics. So overall, how much leadership potential did they say they had as as opposed to just distance uh, between the leadership potentials? Or overall, uh, how much did they say they liked working on their teams as opposed to just the distance amongst them? And so we found that in many cases, diversity was predictive above and beyond the overall makeup of the team, meaning that it doesn't necessarily matter that you have a particular makeup of your team when looking at these outcomes. Instead, what really matters is that your team is more diverse. So I can give you a sampling of some of our specific findings, because obviously not every single diversity metric was (laughs) uh, predictive. Yes, some examples would be great. We found that diversity of personality, more diverse teams scored better on the post-test. Uh, and that was above and beyond quantifying the level of their different personality dimensions. In this case, Mm -hmm. we just used the Big Five inventory, so extroversion, agreeableness, that sort of thing. Uh, Another thing that we found um, was that teams that had higher demographic diversity, so things like race, age, gender, um, actually reported both higher valence and arousal after the collaboration, uh, meaning that they were uh, higher energy and had more positive perceptions um and so that's just a quick sampling of some of the results that we found why why would you say this is important we're we're saying that maybe we should move away from looking at particular makeup of teams and look specifically at their diversity because we found that specifically diversity can be positively and negatively related to outcomes
1: were there any, any surprising findings or any, any other key results?
0: So another thing, key thing that we found was that we weren't actually able to predict task performance with any of our measures at all. I think that that can happen for a variety of reasons. There's a lot of research literature saying that, you know, teams that are more diverse and um, in experiences and attitudes and that sort of thing might perform, uh, might form better teams, but largely that is in long-term collaborations versus we were looking at short 15-minute collaborations. And so there's going to be differences there um, in familiarity and that sort of thing. But beyond that, what we're seeing is that you can't necessarily, in these short-term teams, come up with some measure of how well they're going to do. Instead, you need to look more at what they do at the actual collaboration. And so I think that that's very promising in that we're interested in making feedback systems and that sort of thing that help students collaborate better together and so we can really target their behaviors during the task more than um, than caring about their particular team makeup.
1: I have to say, I really find it interesting that, um, that you did not restrict diversity to the two aspects that are usually associated with it, so gender and race, but that you really took, took a wider stance and looked at quite a few other aspects. And. Um, I do think that forming teams for collaborative work is often not as easy for teachers as one, might, as one might think. So, how would you suggest to transfer this into practice then? What is your recommendation for people that do a lot of group work in their classes? What is your suggestion to them? If, if they want to do teamwork, how should they form those groups of
0: learners? Quite frankly, I personally am of the opinion that we are better off the more that we engage with people who are not like us, and the more that we engage with people who have different attitudes and different life experiences, because I think that whenever you learn from and talk with people who have entirely different viewpoints it can inform your own in really really cool ways um and so uh so one i would just uh i would just really really encourage um i would really really encourage professors or education practitioners to maybe consider to maybe consider how can we form teams so that people aren't necessarily only working with their friends or the people that they know Um, so one actually way that i have seen that done in courses that i remember taking in undergrad is um that teams for large projects are formed by skill sets on traditional work groups for uh workplace scenarios like in a company or whatever you don't have only developers, you don't have only designers, and you don't have only marketing people. Teams are made up of people of a diverse a diverse variety of experiences and backgrounds and skill sets, and so I think that when forming teams for students to work on, that should be something that they should specifically take into account. I've seen some really cool things done uh, on that. For example, for my senior design project, for whenever I was back in undergrad, everyone was given a little token. Blue tokens represented having front end design experience. Uh, red tokens represented having uh, having you know web design experience and so on and so on and so forth and so your goal was to form a team that had tokens of every color and so you want to try and form a team where everyone has a different experience and a different viewpoint because ultimately if you have a team of people who all have, the same ideas, then you're not going to necessarily be able to challenge each other. So in the group work literature, a core problem is something um, is something like Group groupthink to where people converge to the dominant opinion, and you need to challenge each other. You need to have disagreements. Um, we've actually found that in our own work is that we need to see teams who don't necessarily focus on getting along and liking each other, and instead focus on uh, focus on the the task itself um, and how how can you most uh, most properly navigate this task and most effectively navigate this task? Mm-hmm. Um, one aspect of, of using data in education
1: is the typical kind of analyzing log data and then either um, picking out students who fail or uh, are, are at risk of dropping out or providing recommendations to them or to the teachers via dashboards, etc., uh, to improve learning and teaching uh, processes. Um, but very often when it comes to creating these algorithms that are behind it, they, are, they, are, they work in a very small set and those sets are very often not diverse and not inclusive of all sorts of different aspects. So um, what is your own experience when it comes to biases in educational data science or in learning analytics? And how can we try, try to avoid those and, and make sure that the algorithms we build are inclusive and
0: diverse and cater to all different sorts of people? Great question. Uh, So one thing that I think that people should have a look at uh, is the Algorithmic Justice League. They are a fantastic resource for understanding how can certain measures that we include in our data sets and in our machine learning algorithms or whatever it is that we might be doing, how can those actually be encoding biases in the larger society and be having a negative impact on students? So I really, really recommend uh, uh, people go at least, you know, follow them on Twitter, go look at their website. They're a fantastic resource. So
1: what should we be aware of when doing our own analyses?
0: I think that we need to think very, very deeply about our theoretical models of whatever it is that we're modeling. We should really really think deeply uh, about what what that actually means as opposed to stopping at oh, students of a particular race are less likely to do well in mathematics education or whatever it may be. Instead, really consider what does that mean and how does that really encode the systematic biases and experiences of these students beyond just using that as a predictive variable. And then another thing that I would like to add is Just because something can be used as a predictive variable does not mean that it necessarily should be, uh, especially because we might not actually be getting at the result that we want. As an example of um, a little bit outside of the educational technology, learning analytics, educational data mining communities, but I think that is a uh, a really, really representative example that... Uh, we've seen in recent years is in criminal justice sentencing. There have been algorithms developed by companies to look at criminal justice sentencing. Uh, this is specifically in the U.S. We've seen this happen a little bit. To no one's surprise, those algorithms have turned out to be horribly biased. Um, uh Especially given all of the, uh, all of the, all the wider conversations that are happening around criminal justice reform in the U.S., um, and the, the in- historical injustices, uh, that have been faced by people of color, particularly black people. Uh, these algorithms weren't using race as a variable, uh, but they were using things like zip code or where the crime occurred or what kind of crime it was. And that is not necessarily helpful uh, in preventing bias, because one, if you're looking at where the crime occurred or where the where the person lives who committed the crime, that largely encodes things like race in the US um, in, in that people do largely live in fair in fair fairly segregated neighborhoods, um, or people live with people of their similar race, or there um, uh, there are also correlates between socioeconomic status and the type of crime committed. Bringing that back to education, we should consider what are the variables that we are using in our models, why are we using those in our models, and going beyond that, I think that we need to consult the experts. So I'm a computer scientist. I was trained as a software engineer uh, and now trained as a computer scientist in machine learning and artificial intelligence. I do a lot of reading on uh, race and gender um, and diversity. However, I am still not a sociologist. And so I think that it is very, very important to bring those people, bring race scholars, bring uh, sociologists, um, bring people who really are working on that core problem and understand that core problem in a way that uh, you don't necessarily understand it, uh, given your particular training. Bring those people into your team Uh, So that they can help you interpret your results in light of the larger biases that exist, um, as opposed to just, you know, stating some throwaway result that we might have.
1: Is there anything we should do or look out for when compiling and analyzing data sets from the educational field?
0: So regarding data sets in particular, I think that it is very important to seek out the populations that you're trying to study, rather than just um, uh, submitting to your standard college student demographic that we see so often in so many of our studies. If you are doing research with students um, at, say, a, a school that has low racial diversity, I think that that fundamentally has to be acknowledged in anything that you write about uh, it's something that we can't necessarily ignore or look over or just choose not to report it's something that should be engaged with and should be acknowledges hey these results might not generalize for these reasons as opposed to just largely ignoring it
1: that sounds like very sensible advice to me thank you um, You mentioned you have been and are reading up um, a lot about aspects of diversity in order to widen the scope and get an interdisciplinary look on things. Um, The Solar Executive Committee has recently published a statement of support and a call for action on the Solar website in light of the Black Lives Matter movement and has started to compile a list of resources Um, for people to educate themselves or to take actions. Um, Do you have any specific resources that you would like to share with our audience? You already mentioned the Algorithmic Justice League, but um, are there any other resources you would like to to recommend with regards to academia and diversity in general, um, and also the Black Lives Matter movement in particular?
0: I do have a number of resources. Uh, As far as reading goes, uh, a recent paper at CHI, uh, Critical Race Theory for HCI, I think is a wonderful resource. I think that it can be abstracted out to the larger learning, analytics, and academic community, um, and not necessarily be specific to human-computer interaction, but I recommend readers give that a read. Also, regarding specifically the Black Lives Matter movement, I really recommend people go to their website and read their platform. Their platform discusses uh, criminal justice, but um, there is a lot of discussion on the intersections um, of race and gender uh, and sexuality and uh, gender and gender presentation. Um, And I think that these are all very important things for people to just read and understand. There are also a number of uh, lists floating out there about um, people who are just kind of dipping their toe into into anti an, anti racism who are trying to figure out you know what all is going on here. One I think that people should read work by Angela Davis. You know, not not particularly uh, new, but I think that it's all very important work to read, particularly when looking at intersections of race and gender. Yeah, a couple of other organizations, both Black in AI and Latinx in AI, um, are tackling um, core topics of uh, what does it mean to be uh, a Black person or a Latinx person in the space of artificial intelligence, where we are certainly not the majority, however, are influenced very deeply by um, AI and algorithms but so that's a that's a great resource for people who are uh, who uh, identify as both as either black or Latinx however they also if you want to if you want to engage and you want to say um, engage in a mentorship program if you consider yourself as an ally uh, then go go check out those resources um, go support those organizations I think that they're doing really really cool work in advocating for people of color in the tech, in the education, um, and the AI space.
1: Thank you so much, Angela. Um, We will add all these resources to our resource collection on the SOLAR website. So anyone who is interested, please go to solarresearch.org and our statement there of support to find the links to all the things mentioned by Angela and also many others. Now, at the end of our podcast episodes, we always play a little game with our guests, and it is called Two Truths and a Lie. And we ask our guests to give us three statements about themselves, and then our audience can guess which one of those is the lie. In the last episode, we played the game with Paul Prinselu and Kirsty Kitto, and here are their answers.
0: I have a degree in art history, and I'm a artist. I taught at the University of Maryland University College in a master's degree program and I have a degree in software engineering and I'm a very competent coder. I have never had a Facebook
1: account. I am spending my period in isolation attempting to master the handstand. I eat a banana smoothie every morning when I am working from home. (laughs)
0: Yours (laughs) has to be the software engineering one, surely. (laughs) Yeah, that's very easy.
1: I think your Facebook one is true, Kirstie. I know that one for sure. That is true. (laughs) true. Your banana smoothie is the lie. It's the
0: banana smoothie
1: that's the lie.
0: I I hate bananas.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I ate way too many bananas many, many years ago, and I can't touch them anymore. (laughs) So, Angela,
0: now it is your turn. What are your two truths and a lie? Okay, my two truths and a lie. Uh, Number one... I am a macaroni and cheese connoisseur, and if there is macaroni and cheese on the menu of a restaurant, I will order it and see how it compares to my mental master list of good restaurants with good mac and cheese. Uh, Number two, I build all of my computers that I use from scratch, given that I... I'm a computer scientist. And number three, I have participated in the world's largest tug of war. Ooh, those are interesting ones.
1: I'm, I'm curious of what the, what the resolution will be. And I'm, I'm also curious of what our audience will guess. Um, but they will have to wait for the next episode to get their answer. Um, thank you very much again for uh, being guest on this episode, Angela, and uh, all the best and good luck and success with your, uh, with your defense that's coming up. And uh, I'm looking forward to much, much more of your research in this
0: area and uh, hope to see you around the learning analytics community in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you.
1: Thank you for listening to Solar Spotlight, conversations on learning analytics. If you don't want to miss any episodes, subscribe to our podcast. You can find all available episodes on SoundCloud, iTunes and Spotify. Our next episode will be released in September. In the meantime, look out for the upcoming webinar from Solar. It will be about learning analytics in Latin America and it will feature Margarita Ortiz from Ecuador. More information will be available soon. The call for papers for LAC 21, the conference on learning analytics and knowledge, is out. The conference will take place in April next year. Submission deadline for research papers, practitioner submissions and workshop proposals is October 1st. All details can be found on lac21.solarresearch.org. Also, in case you would like to get involved with some of SOLAR's special interest groups, take a look at the information on our website and get in touch with the SIGs. And last but not least, we would like to invite those of you that have any success or cautionary stories to share about using learning analytics to support students during the pandemic to please get in touch with us by sending an email to solar.spotlight.podcast at gmail.com. My name is Maren Scheffel and I have been talking with Angela Stewart today about the topic of diversity. If you would like to continue the conversation and guess the lie, please tweet us at solarresearch using the hashtag Solarspotlight. Until next time.